could you please pronounce your names correctly for me? And could you also give me a little bit of background on your sort of how you got to being photographers and then whether or not your ideas or your dreams of what being a professional photographer in these days was and whether or not it has met or not met that sort of dreams and aspirations. The correct pronunciation of my name is uh, you, but in English, Joe is fine. Yeah, I would have called you Joe. I call myself Joe in English. I got into photography through uh, a long, um, let's say, uh, detour. Well, actually, I, I'm trained in physics. And um, I wanted to do an MBA after my physics studies and become a businessman. But I got a job in Anderson Consulting doing business strategy with LDMA. So I worked a long time in the corporate field doing consulting. And uh, it turned more and more visual through the internet being a vehicle. I started to focus on that and got into brand strategy and design management and stuff like that. And um, uh, after a while, I uh, focused on the visual things, uh, the, the design management and strategy related to that. Uh, and one day, we got a new uh, CEO in the company I worked for, and he, he was no fun to work with. So I decided to try photography for a year, and that's 12 years ago. It worked out fine. My name is Stieg Marlon Weston. Um, and um, the Western is English. It's not American related to any famous photographer. I uh, remember when I was 14, I said out loud that I wanted to be a photographer. I realized I had to say it out loud to stick to my uh, hope and dreams. And uh, even though those uh, hopes and dreams change over the years, how a photographer is and what the photographer does because I had some idea of being a war photographer or a fashion photographer or a portrait photographer and then I mean there's so many choices you can uh, choose between when you're a photographer so to me that was a perfect choice because I could change it as I was going along so I've stuck to that since yeah since before I started studying photography and before I started working uh, I knew that this is what I want to do and I don't want to go for any plan B. And uh, my name is Arle Schillingmark. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I started playing with my mom's camera the first time when I was like 17 and then I did drawing in school and I was kind of into aesthetics and my father's an artist and so it wasn't like that far away but it took years until I when I was getting older and I was going to start studying and I went through all these different things that I wanted to be and I, I kind of forced myself to sort of take a decision and I ended up with photography and I think since the day I decided that I was going to start photography I've I've never regretted it you know it's like then it was done the decision was made and I ended up studying photography in London at the London College of Printing and started off, uh, after my bachelor, I started off working as a commercial photographer. I, I kind of really, really wanted to, to have this job where I, you know, I was living off photography and that was like the first. So I've, I think, you know, I kind of tried every different aspect of photography. 
<laughs> in a way. And after some years, um, but after actually after even though I started out as a commercial photographer, I kind of always knew that I would end up doing my own projects. So that was kind of always the plan. And in 2007, I did my first solo exhibition and uh, yeah, and then transition years and I've done some film stuff as well. So I've done different things and I, uh, and, uh, but uh, now I only do my own work as a photographer and I'm, yeah, I'm really happy about it. And some things are like I expected and some things are definitely not. <laughs> so I've also done a lot of commercial works as well as sort of artistic work, sort of artistic works, artists, artistic works. And I personally realized very early on that like commercial work is not for me. They, they take a very different uh, like personality trait to be a commercial photographer, i.e. like work for a client versus working for yourself. So how many of you all have experiences or like, do you feel the need to do some commercial works in order to like pay for artistic works? Like what's that balance of doing some commercial versus doing artistic and how much do you like or dislike each of those? I still do commercial work. So I guess I'm the one here who's still working as a photographer. To me, it feels like it's a, a important part of this. It's something about keeping the idea of communication directly open. But I do know that you have to, I, I at least have to have work that combines well with my artistic ideas so that even though it's totally different, I, I still need to think of it somewhat similar. Uh, I care a lot about how photography and truth and the real world are connected, images and what we see and what is there. So uh, commercial work to me has to be real somehow and not uh, like advertised, staged and plastic looking photography, but more, more um, reportage-like or communication photography. Uh, when I started out after school, I, I did a lot of commercial work. I've transitioned into doing only my own stuff, which has been really, really great. And I've done that for maybe 10 years now, uh, but it was like a long period of crossover. But anyway, when I look back, I'm really, really happy about the world, the years that I spent as a commercial photographer because it gives me an advantage. I've just learned so much technical stuff. And um, it's when you work with trying to make something other people want, you have to sort of control the techniques in a completely different way. And it gives you a broader uh, perspective of what photography can do. So in that sense, I really get to use that as an art photographer because I, you know, I know how this stuff works. Um, so I'm, uh, yeah, I, that was a great, it was great starting out as a commercial photographer for me. I started out doing all sorts of things, um, everything I could do to get paid um, or gain experience. I had some money, that's why I decided to try photography. That will last me for like a year, so I decided I'll try photography for a year, but I'll do it for real and find out what I want to do with photography. And uh, I did everything from shooting celebrities for Sony pictures when they visited the Oslo 
to event photography, to fashion shoots, to all kinds of things. I have a lot of friends in interesting places, so I got those jobs early. <laughs> and I decided uh, fairly quickly that I will not run after celebrities, uh, even, even, even hired by the movie company. Um, uh, because they're so jaded and it's very hard to get something interesting out of them. Uh, I decided fairly quickly that event photography was not for me uh, for other reasons, the hours and everything. Uh, and um, when I started doing uh, my own projects and did a workshop with Alex Webb, uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's a documentarist, but it's very much into the visual arts, what it does. I got inspired to do my own projects and found out fairly quickly that that's what I wanted to do and focus on because it, I guess I have the personality to do commercial work as well, but uh, doing the subjective uh, sort of selfish project of talking to yourself through your images and getting a certain resonance with people outside yourself, beside yourself to that was so rewarding. So uh, I was willing to risk focusing on my own projects. Yeah, I was hired once by People Magazine to do a paparazzi thing, and that was sort of my low point as far as I'm concerned in my career, that I not only did it, but that I was even willing to do it. Like, that was a very bottom of my, my life in a photography world. That's when I decided never to do commercial work again. Even though I have to say they paid extremely well, like to be a paparazzi, it was such good money, it was insane. But that was years ago. Now everybody with a cell phone is a paparazzi. But one thing that, like, uh, early you brought up is the idea of like technical knowledge, and this is something that I often, as a professor, run into is like. How important is the technical knowledge versus the having a good sort of vision or concept or anything like this behind when you're working? Because I understand and I agree to, well, I, I don't agree, but like I, my position is that the, it does take a certain amount of technical knowledge and information as a basis so that you can basically forget the technical issues and then just focus on the concepts. But I'm wondering what your sort of in, interest in that sort of concept versus technical. I think the perfect thing is. is that when you control them both in a way, or you know, so of course um, the concept is, I guess, is not about control, but it's it's about being able to go into something and and sort of and then manage to convey it into something that that other people can understand. But it's the conveying part which is then you really get an advantage if you can control the, the medium that you're working with. And I think for me also, I mean, it's been important. I mean, I don't actually call myself an artist. I call myself a photographer because I have a lot of pride in photography. I mean, that's, I, I, I see myself as a photographer, even though I've been working with art photography for many years. Um, this is still a part of my identity, being a photographer. Um, so, I mean, for me also, I work, with, I work with three exposures on top of each other on film, and it's about understanding the emulsion. It's about understanding what, you know, what happens. And, but it's also a lot about chance and be willing to sort of let go of control. I mean, the concept and wanting to, to say something more with what you make 
is kind of what makes it art in a way. So you you need that. But I think I mean a lot of things that I've seen that that's called art is really really bad photography. You know. So but which is fine. I mean it doesn't always have to be great technically. Do you manage to communicate or not? I guess that's the question. And if you can communicate with whatever you have, then fine. But when things get lost uh, on the way, either in the concept or in the technical, you, you don't have anything. So it's, it's, it's managing to, um, to use what you know. And some people are better at conveying with little knowledge of technical things than other. And it also, I've seen that work as well. So I guess there's no recipe, but you can, in knowing what you're doing is always good. <laughs> I, I would tend to see it the other way around. If you have nothing to convey, then don't do it. But uh, of course, if you're unable to convey what you have to convey, then that's the problem too. But I would say the content, the idea, the message, the effect on the observer, as we're talking about art photography, is more important than the technical skills. Uh, but uh, I have a huge preference. I for guess you don't have, yeah, it's more important in a way, but you have to be able to know some kind of language in order exactly, to talk Exactly, exactly. Like I said, if you're unable to convey it, then that's a problem. But uh, you have to have something to convey. Uh, per personally, I have a huge affinity for very high quality, technical, or rather like uh, hand craftsmanship in photography uh, i prefer like very perfect images but uh i think it's utterly annoying when someone's really good at the craftsmanship and i have nothing to say and they hang in the gallery <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think uh, uh, to me an important part of this is that the work as a photographer you know something about how photography is read how people read images not just as art, but as photography. And maybe we don't think about this always, but knowing how an audience look at photography as different than other types of art is an important part of what you should think when you're making it and when you're displaying it. And it's maybe easier for somebody who's doing another medium, you're painting or drawing or sculpting or whatever, because people react to that as that medium, which is only seen as art, while people, when they see photography, they see a lot of different things. And if you worked with photography commercially, you know more of the ways people look at it. I think it's a huge factor how people observe and read photography when it comes to how, how you, well you get across. But personally, I think um, I tend to try not to think too much about what people are going to like or understand or whatever. I have a conversation with myself. And uh, if that conversation ends up in an image that I think is also visually appealing and can draw, at least would draw me in, um, then I'm willing to expose it to a broader audience. And um, I think uh, part of that is understanding how I read photography, at least. But uh, I was just want to comment make the comment that um, personally I try not to think too much about what people are going to understand or like. I uh, try to make pictures that tell me something. 
Well, admittedly, like that is one of the biggest struggles I feel of almost anybody who makes a creative thing. So I don't care if you're a writer, a poet, a a, a, a musician, a visual artist, whatever, is the the desire to share something and the sort of potential, I might even call it like pressure of will people connect with it? And like, and sometimes the need, or maybe not a need, but a, a willingness to change the work to make it more accessible to viewers versus being as pure as, as creative and expressive as we want it to be. Because sometimes we have to navigate that balance we can't i mean if we did at 100 not caring about viewers i believe that we would all make very different work than we actually end up putting out because mm. curators get involved other people get involved and choices are made based on what is you know somehow we'll call it like accessible to the viewer I, th I think uh, that's very true and uh, definitely in the editing process that you do yourself uh, in the editing or curating of an exhibition, it's uh, relevant. But um, I think it's great if you can approach it by placing it in contexts where it might be relevant rather than producing something that's relevant for a context. Yes. I think I've, for me, I've come to sort of trust that when... I find something there and when it lands with me, it usually also lands with someone else, you know, not everyone necessarily, but yeah, I, I sort of, I don't make it for them, but I'm, it's important for me that people see my work, you know, or, or, you know, that someone likes it, you know, but it's not there for, but yeah, if, if I feel it, someone else usually feels it too. It is this thing of, I think we all agree here, that the art should be for the maker and then hopefully it reaches some audience, while commercial work would be for the audience mainly. Uh, but it is this thing of us as photographers also understanding how we read our own work. And I feel this is a big difference between people who have worked with photography professionally and people who haven't, that they may be see things in their own work that isn't there because <laughs> it is the whole experience of making this art and that is important yes but then is it there do you react to it when you see your own work or do you just have it in your head and other people won't have it in their head so uh, that's uh, that's where i feel like the commercial part or the professional part comes in and it's also definitely that people read with their own experiences and from their own background. I mean, people see things I never saw, you know, and that's also to have the opening for people to come in and bring their own story into it is great. And uh, being the contrary person that I tend to be sometimes, I would say uh, so perhaps if we worked a lot with photography and not with uh, other things or art photography, then it might mistake it as a good picture if it's just good technical photography. Well, see, like I have the problem that every time I do an exhibition or put together a series of works, the ones, the images that like I'm most attached to, nobody likes. 
and the ones that I'm like, oh, whatever, yeah, it's fine, we'll put it in, everybody loves that one. So like when I have a very low like interest or passion for the image, that's the one that connects with people and the ones that I absolutely adore, nobody likes. So basically I've learned over my decades that I am my own worst editor. I don't agree. I, I, I think it's rather the underlying thing of if you've done your project well, you have moved yourself forward. And when mm. you show this to an audience, they start where you started. And they will like the first image that you don't care about anymore. Yeah. And maybe later they will see what you see. Oh, yes. I have a trend in my life, which is that people love the last set of work I did and not the current set of work. So like every time I put out a new exhibition, they're all like, oh, you know what? I really wanted to buy that one from the last series. <laughs> and I'm like, mm. what about this new series? And everybody always is uh, either, I, I'm not sure if I'm ahead of the curve or if I'm behind the curve, but either way, whenever I do an exhibition, I rarely hit the mark, but like five, 10 years later, that work is suddenly more interesting. And I don't know why. Do, does anybody else run into that kind of an issue? Yes. Okay, good. I definitely sell more of my older pictures, but I guess that there might be other factors in that as well. But um, yeah, it's good. It's, I'm, yeah, it's good to make business for what you'll sell in 10 years as well. So you keep making. <laughs> I, I just had that experience with the series that I finished like, what is it, four years ago now? And I had a chance to exhibit some of the images again. And now they're suddenly selling. It takes a while for people to like understand or remember and it is when they remember they've seen something that they then understand so yes you need to show it and then show it again or remind them that they've seen it before speaking of that i've got to ask a super stupid technical question because i also noticed it on some of your websites as well editions what do you all do how big because i grew up in a time where it was large editions was the thing, you know, a hundred or in the 150 editions. And it seems like these days it's very much more about less editions and sort of almost exclusivity of like, there are only this amount. I've had previous conversations with a photography collector and he was talking about how when there are less on the market, there's higher value and therefore higher demand. And so the, there's the, and then there's that exclusivity of if something is then sold out, then suddenly people are, collectors are like, oh wait, there's none available. This is completely sold out. Wow, I should be sure to buy something from this person. And then they buy even something that wasn't their first choice kind of thing, just because they then feel like that person is worthy to collect. So what kind of choices are you all making in, in the nature of sort of editions? Um, small editions. Uh, I started out my first exhibition I had in my home, and I had an edition of uh, three plus two, no, five plus two, and another size with 15. And um, I realized that it's a lot of work selling all those 15 images. So uh, I want to be an artist, not a, not a shop attendant. So um, that combined with the fact that I got feedback that uh, the prices were too low and the edition was too high. So uh, I raised the prices and reduced everything to 5 plus 2 or 3 plus 2, depending on the series. As a total? As, as a total, independent of size. 
final and decided if I, if they're sold out then i'll just have to make more good pictures and um i think that works well if you're in a gallery that has um that type of clients that or customers that wants to pay more for quality and exclusivity um if you're super famous and you have galleries all over the world and you can sell images to all kinds of people everywhere without making an effort yourself then it might make sense to have no additions at all but uh if you want to get established as a serious art photographer and uh, not spend all your time selling all your copies then i think small editions is a good idea and higher prices i've sort of developed over time and it actually from for each each exhibition exhibition it has changed a little bit i started out with five plus five and then I do size groups. So I do five small and five big, but I'm very flexible on the sizes within that group. Wait, just um, for clarification, five plus five is five proofs, artist proofs and five? No, 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 five uh, plus two, basically in two different sizes. So five plus two artist copies and small and five plus two artist copies and big. All right. And then I would sort of, put the limit on maybe a hundred centimeters and that would be like a group. So if the, if the image was 30 centimeters or 70, it would be in the same edition. Okay. Edition group. Yeah. And then I went over to six plus two and six plus two and two. And now I do five, five, three. Wait. And also wait, let's continue on with this conversation because also something else interests me. Do you make all these prints and then store them or no. do you only print no. when sold? I print, usually when I print an exhibition, I'll print two prints because also I do analog printing and the second print is half price. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, and, and also it's, um, but it's, it's not, you know, so my printer has the, all these rolls of <laughs> prints. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but uh, yeah, no, I don't do that. So some prints I have lying around but I will print when people order. Uh, and also because I'm flexible on the sizes. I mean, some people say you shouldn't be so flexible on the sizes, but you know, usually I think my pictures work in different sizes and I'm willing to be flexible for the people who want my images. And, and that feels okay. You know, I don't feel like I'm go going on any accord with myself when I do that. So, uh, but I, so I make these sort of size groups. So in total now, my two last exhibition has been 13 copies, but then I do, you know, five plus two and five plus two and three plus two. So I do have some artist proofs that, that sort of lying, you know, I've sold a few, but they're good to have. I so agree with those comment on not wanting to keep on selling the same image and just being a shop. I, I started out thinking after reading about other photographers I liked that 25 was the standard edition and realizing after selling two or three that no, I don't want to stand in the darkroom all day and copy more of this. I want to sell the other print and make the other one. So now I'm down to usually three or I often make handmade stuff that I only have one original of. And then maybe I do like three digital versions of it. And I think clarity is important to some people, at least some people don't care about 
additions at all and uh, you shouldn't relate to them because some people do and those uh, will prefer if it's consistent clear no doubt whether the, these five copies are for this exhibition or in total or in this size or that size or will we make more sizes later and all that i think clarity is of value at least in the market but you can do whatever you want I, I kind of keep in clarity, even though I have kind of some, some sort of system. It's, for me anyway, very clear. <laughs> but um, I agree, yeah. But it's, uh, I've, I have a few editions that I've sold out. And then, of course, I've been really, really happy that there have been at least a few, or 12 or 13. But, and it's also the fact when you do print out a large exhibition, it's always two or three images that people really, really want and selling the full edition of those it kind of makes up for all the other prints and all the other expenses that you spent making the whole exhibition so in a way it has, has actually made sense to have several copies of of uh, the images but you know going beyond i would say say a total of 15 i think is is a bit too much but that's my perception anyway it kind of pains me a little bit like once i have an edition and I've sold the edition out that I can't ever print that image again because <laughs> like it's a good image. I love the image and other people seem to love the image, but I can't print it again because I've agreed upon this edition. That's kind of sad mm -hmm. for me, but I guess a painter or any other person, they only get to make one of something and it's done. So it's, mm -hmm. I've had, yeah, I've had the same thought. Well, at least I had 13 and not well, one. but I'm sure those 13 <laughs> probably, let's say only sold for like, a thousand euros instead of a painting that would sell for 15,000 euros. So I mean, the amount of income is basically the same, even though you produce 15 of it and they would produce one. The thing is the, my most sort of commercially and perhaps also generally successful series, I thought of as so uncommercial that I limited the addition to three. And, um, do you regret that now? No, not not <laughs> at all. It's in very good collections and it's uh, attained very high prices. So uh, it was a very good choice. Well, which actually lends to an interesting question that I have, which is like, so in the way of the market these days, are you all 100% photographers? And if so, like, well, I know Stig, you do some commercial work, but like, how much of, let's say in Stig's example, so like how much is commercial, how much is artworks as far as your incomes? Like, so do you make 100% of your income from your photographic practices or do you have to do workshops or teaching or other jobs completely irrelevant to photography? So like what, how is the, the market treating you, I guess? Well, to me, this thing of what kind of photographer did I want to become? has changed a lot and I've been surprised how much I don't do photographs but I'm an organizer. I do so much uh, like community organizing and event stuff for photographers or for people who are interested in photography. So that is from workshops to um, uh, just uh, during or uh, speaking or organizing other people's uh, exhibitions curating. Um, it's uh, a lot more than making the photographs, but I, f I feel this is part of where I learn more that improves my own work. So I'm, I'm happy with it. 
because you're also managing the Cyan Studio. What is the Cyan Studio, just to, for the listeners? Uh, Cyan Studio is um, was meant as an open, shared, non-profit workspace for photographers. When I started, it, it's 25 years next year. Congratulations. I didn't imagine it will be running that long. Um, and uh, being basically, it's a rental studio, non-profit. But then, as it is a nice space, I've started using it as an exhibition space and event space and workshop place and also as a platform for organizing other things like portfolio reviews or photo book cafes or meetups of all kinds. Um, and to me that is important as in we should all help to grow the community and the audience and the interest, not just I want to show my work but I also want to have there be an interest in everybody's work because that helps everybody. How do the rest of you make livings? Barely do. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I have a certain income uh, besides selling prints, but uh, what I do spend my time doing uh, professionally is uh, art photography. I also work as a full-time art photographer. Uh, I. I make most of my money actually selling my work. Slightly envious, but um, go on. Yeah, but I do also have, uh, I inherited my mom's flat, which I rent out, which is a, is a base income that really, really helps me. But, um, but I could not live of that alone. So yeah, I do, I, I've been selling a lot of photographs the last few years and um, it's great. Stig, you brought up an interesting point. Like I used to run a community dark room and I've also run a nonprofit organization in America and things along this line. And I you know, when I was a kid, when I was in school, I was like, Oh, I want to be this like rock star photographer, have my own studio. We all had these dreams, you know. Come on, I was from the eighties and nineties. So, you know, I had these dreams of like, you know, big huge studio warehouse studios and like all kinds of great stuff. But over time I've learned and and I've sort of I feel like I've matured in the way of like that the community is more important almost than the solo work that we do. And so the, the having peers, having, you know, a group of people that you respect and that you can talk with is something that unfortunately I feel like I missed out on in my own career. And I'm wondering what, whether you find that the need or not need of a community or whether this was just some personal thing of my issues. <laughs> No, the community is important, at least to me, and I see it's important to so many others. Uh, to me, starting out, it was coming out of school, and yes, wanting the big studio and be the important photographer and have the space to do everything, uh, but then realizing that there was things missing in the, in our community or in the in the general art world. So when uh, I see something missing like that, I feel, okay, then if I think this is needed, other people will think it's needed and somebody should do it and I'm the one thinking about doing it. It's uh, both a blessing, I guess, but also a curse. Because <laughs> I can't stop doing these things when I see we need to have this in Norway. I would like this in my hometown. I see the 
the this festival or that festival is lacking something I'm I can add this uh, and that's uh, that takes energy away from doing my own personal work and my original idea of being this hot shot like you say in a own studio space but it does give a lot as in uh, learning and community and uh, I feel uh, I'm not gonna take uh, uh, the credit for how uh, the interest in photography has grown but I feel like uh, at least I've contributed some to make more people interested and uh, have both the community and the market and the interest growing. I mean you've done a great job with Sian and I know a lot of people have uh, have been through Sian and learned a lot about photography. I think for my own part I've kind of been I do most things alone and I like being alone and I like working alone and I like, you know, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in this room or out in the woods. <laughs> um, so, but I, so I guess people like different things, but you know, you, it's just been like a photo festival now, also negative in Oslo in the old uh, library. And it's been really nice to be there in the weekends and meet other people. I really like meeting other people and other photographers. And I like being at the lab printing and meeting all the photographers that come by and talk to them. But I couldn't do that every day. Like, I, I, I need, but that contrast is really good. It's good to meet other people who do the same thing and, and to talk to you guys. And, and yeah, but then, uh, yeah, I like being alone. <laughs> As well. <laughs> Me too. I like to work uh, individually and um, subjectively and try to be as, uh, let's say, authentic or whatever as possible and not too, too um, influenced by people around me every day. But I really, really appreciate, appreciate the photographic community. So that combination of being a lonely photographer, uh, uh, going to the art fair or the pho photography festival or uh, participating uh, in some kind of a community context is really valuable as well. But uh, I wouldn't sort of commit myself to a collaborate uh, like a group of photographers presenting pre presenting um, collective work or stuff like that at least not now uh, you never know I might I don't when we did the festival I've been working with a group of female photographers and we've did our second group show now and it's the first time I've worked so closely with people and to be part of a group show and actually it was it was really, really good. And I, I think when it, when it started out the first time, I was really not sure if I was going to do it. And then, but then what kicked it, it was, it was just thinking that I needed more, more friends that were photographers. <laughs> so I, I kind of threw myself into it and it was, it was actually really, really rewarding also because the show was shown in like three different places. And I think I, I haven't done like I did two three images for that show and I got so much back just to be in a community and showing several places compared to when I work alone and I make several images and there's one exhibition it's only me promoting it so or the 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 galleries as well of course but 
But yeah, so in that way, it was really, really rewarding to work with a group. It makes a lot of sense, I mean, practically. And uh, when it comes to economies of scale on a small scale, to me, it, I mean, it's part of what you do when you're represented by a gallery. Hopefully you're in a gallery where you have respect for the other people's work that's been shown there and you can relate to the gallerist and to the other photographers or artists and so that's a that's an arena like that and of course it makes a lot of sense to have access to those arenas well one thing you all a couple of you mentioned anyways is the idea about being in norway now please don't take this offensively but the my question would be why have you chosen to stay in norway uh, given the potential opportunities throughout the world. So in, in no way is it negative about Norway. I visited Norway for the podcast. Love it. Amazing place to live. Very expensive, but amazing place. Um, so like, I mean, it's it's the question because like where this comes from is I've moved probably almost 20 times in my adult life through three different continents and it had many benefits and it also had many detriments. And so I'm sort of just seeking your insight into like, what is it that has kept you in Norway? Or maybe you left and you came back because I know early you went away to school in, in the UK. So like, why be in Norway and be a photographer? Yeah, I've asked myself that many times. <laughs> it is a thing that you find different countries have different kind of interests. And like you say, in the US was surprisingly different you discovered when you moved to Europe. And I don't feel like me or my work fits in here, but uh, I'm trying to make it fit. Um, and I feel like I should have moved a long time ago. Uh, but then I don't really like moving unless I know what I'm going to do where I move. So I've been trying to build up things that I know I will do somewhere. And it just t takes more time because I'm doing the same thing here. See, the problem I ran into is when I was in America, everybody said, oh, your work is so European. And so I was like, great. So I got to Europe and I showed my work here and everybody's like, oh, your work is so American. <laughs> like, I can't win on this I've um, kind of life happened so I went when I came back to Norway after studying and uh, children and you know you, you kind of have a life in one place and I and I really like living in Oslo I really like this place and it works well but I have after the kids have gotten bigger now I have started thinking that I want to expand my market or where I work um, so in a way, I'm in the mixture of being very, you know, well-established in Norway and a completely newbie in Europe or other places. And it's a nice little mixture. I've been traveling a little bit the last year and it just make you tick a little bit again because, you, you know, you kind of, you're nobody. Uh, and it's, it's interesting uh, trying to sort of, you know, it makes you feel a bit younger again, actually. Um, but I, yeah, I've, I've, I've made some advances. I don't know where it's going yet. Um, I think it's exactly like it is in Norway. You just have to be patient. And that's really like one of the things with, with, with doing this is, is a key word for me has been patience. It takes time. It's nothing that happens quickly. Um, from 
you know, with Shoot Gallery from when I started thinking I wanted to join Shoot Gallery until I did is, is three years, you know. So that's, you know, and I just sort of started looking abroad this year and knowing it's going to take time. Uh, and I don't even know if it's going to work. You know, it's a little bit scary in that sense, trying something you don't know if it's going to happen or not. But I'm willing to take the chance. And um, yeah, I've started looking. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where it ends. But with the internet and with how things are now, it's possible to look bigger than, than where you are. And I'm not intending to move anywhere, but I can travel a little bit and, you know, yeah. I agree with Ala that Oslo is a great place to live. And uh, I've been traveling a lot and also doing uh, shooting abroad, spending a lot of time in Rio and Brazil and other places. Uh, but uh, Oslo is my base. I want to have this as my uh, hometown. But uh, I've also exhibited in Denmark, in Scotland, and in New York uh, at APAD. And we sold everything that we brought to the fair. So that, that was kind of an encouragement that my work can be relevant in other markets. And uh, I really want to expand on that opportunity as well. It's interesting how some of you took it as like your market, because one of the things that I've noticed is with the internet, especially in social media and all these things, like to a certain extent, you kind of don't have to live anywhere. As long as you have like FedEx or DHL or whatever available to you, you can live anywhere. So it's part of my question is also like, why why be in Norway as in like is there something unique about the experience of being there that keeps you there it's also about being born here I guess fair enough <laughs> yeah, you're a citizen there too that that's a that, that's <laughs> yeah. a big difference I'm currently an, you know well, I'm currently place. an expat so like I have to deal with expat regulations and laws and stuff yeah. and that's that's a issue most people thankfully don't have to deal with I think when, just from my own experience, experience after living four years in London, I loved living in London, but it's, you know, it's I don't know, 12, 13 million people in one city and you come from a country which is that, you know, it's four or five, I don't know, remember, five million in the whole country, five, six, I don't know the we numbers won't quote anymore, you on that. but no, that's good, <laughs> um, but it's having some space and you have some space here. And it feels free, and it's there's many things about the Norwegian, Norwegian community that I really, really appreciate. And of course, I wished uh, others, other countries had as well. But I guess it's appreciating uh, a lot of things here. It is a great place to live, at least in my experience and opinion. But it's quite small. Uh, Oslo is the capital and it's uh, still not that huge, but it has a lot to offer. But I personally feel I need to travel uh, every now and then to get some impulses and Definitely. gain some insights. <laughs> so just being stuck in Oslo forever, then perhaps it's better to be stuck in London. I don't know. You're moving. No, I'm not <laughs> moving. I'm traveling. My experience has just been that traveling hasn't really done what I would want it to do. Yes, it's easy to communicate with people and internet and everything, but I've been around to portfolio reviews so many places and uh, 
going around to the New York galleries and getting meetings set up because yeah, they would be interested in what I do. And then, great, this is interesting, but you live in Norway and it's on the other side of the ocean. Uh, that is something that makes it more difficult. And uh, uh, that is um, hard because I know that the reason I want to live here is that I've been traveling and trying to imagine moving somewhere else. And I thought about, like you say, London is too big or Berlin is super interesting. But everywhere I go that could be nice to live, I, I um, feel like uh, I can't find any nature. <laughs> and that's the Norwegian in me that I need to have a short drive or easy access to something that feels like wilderness. Not like a park somewhere that is trees, but that there is landscape. And that's kind of strange to feel that that is so important, but it is to me. It definitely is to me as well. You know, nature is a, is a big part of it. Something else that I noticed a lot when I moved to Europe is, is that a lot of people that are in the arts world, so like we'll, we'll call all of you artists for a sake of argument, just because some of you don't like to self-call yourselves that, but the, the grants and residencies and other sort of governmental or private funding is a very big part. And so I'm wondering like how much of your work, effort, whatever, and then theoretically funding comes from like grants and residencies and other opportunities like this that are somehow sort of funded through sort of, I guess, like socialized kinds of uh, government support versus the general public. None of my income comes from public funding, but I have gotten grants to pay for some of the stuff I do. It never covers the costs. And the annoying thing with uh, this kind of idea of art is socialized here is that we believe it ourselves as well. So me running Science Studio for 25 years, people think I get paid for it by somebody with tax money somewhere. And no. Uh, and it's, uh, it also makes it then harder for people to understand that they need to either donate or sponsor or support somehow themselves because everybody thinks the state will do it and yes the state does some but not really i have no uh, art funding uh, whatsoever other than sales and but as i said i have i'm not desperate so i haven't applied that much either I resent that remark. Applying for grants and residencies is not a sign of desperateness. No, but I was saying I am. It makes him lazy. I am. I'm, I, I want. I'm okay either way. So I'll. Um, sometimes I'm not, but then I work harder to sell my prints, and then suddenly I am. Uh, so I haven't applied that much. That was my point. But uh, I haven't received anything yet. I've applied a lot uh, to things that I didn't get, <laughs> and but I've also had grants uh, covering some of some of the expenses for exhibitions. But usually, like most of my money goes into my own work. Again, that's where I put my money. It, I put my money into be able to do my own work. Uh, everything I earn, almost. So it's like. Um, but uh, now I'm part of a Norwegian project called Norwegian Journal of Photography and 
the fritt ord, free word. Um, so I'm actually, I've actually have a work grant now for the first time in my life, which is congratulations. Cool. But that's good. Yeah, doesn't cover everything, but <laughs> never does. It helps. It helps. It definitely helps. Yeah. Just to be yeah. clear, before we get too far down the rabbit hole here, this podcast is supported by a grant from the EEA. <laughs> Greatly appreciated. <laughs> to take it back to. To my own thoughts, is never accept what other people decide for you, because it's that's a lot of the time people someone will say no, this is not good enough, or this is not what they're looking for, or you know, um, to not accept other people's perception of where your reality is, and and staying with your own th thoughts about what you're doing. I agree, but I would say that you have to accept their perception as theirs and move on to other people. Place yourself yes, in context exactly. where, you want, you, yeah. Uh, instead of struggling really hard to convince someone, just find someone and it gets what you do. Yeah, it is yeah. hard that balance of like I want to be part of this market, let's say, but the market doesn't want me. Like so, like how hard do you work to try and be part of something if they don't want you? And sometimes you might have to say like, okay, they're just not going to want me. I'll go find somebody who does, or some place, or whatever. It's difficult. Like that, I find that issue of finding your market, because like in the old days, <laughs> when I was young, like the idea was, as an artist, you would put yourself into the market. So let's say, like, move to New York City, because that's where theoretically the biggest market is. So you move to New York if you're an artist, because that's where you're going to find your market. But these days, I feel again going back to like social media and the internet, you can live anywhere in the world. You can ship your work, or you could just fly with your work and be there for a residency or a grant or whatever, and participate in many different communities. So there's sort of no need to live in those major metropolitan areas unless you're doing commercial photography, then you actually do need to. But as an art photographer, you can more or less live anywhere you want in the world and sort of just either telecommute or ship your stuff and really sort of live the lifestyle that you personally want while still being able to engage in the market or the, the place where people have interest in your work more so than in the past. More so definitely, but to get that access and um, sort of establish those relationships, it's an, uh, a huge advantage to meet people in person. Relationships is the key word on that one. Yeah. And also the traveling and the sending of images and especially framed images on back and forth. It's really expensive. From Norway, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Everything's expensive in Norway, including shipping. Yeah, yeah. Now, how do you all feel about social media? I'm just going to leave it open like that, yeah. Generally, it's a huge distraction and um, real annoying and corrupting our society in major ways. <laughs> but uh, I still use it. <laughs> it's a necessary yep. evil. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, has it is to be, helpful in many ways. So. It, it's yeah. hugely helpful, but uh, the way it's been operated so far or now uh, it needs to be um, 
it needs to be disciplined. Well, I feel like when it first started, so, you know, we're talking like the beginning of Instagram. So was it like 10, 12 years ago? It actually was like sort of building a community and you had people that mm. you really liked and enjoyed. And now it has turned into influencers and advertising and all these things mm. that distract away from what I believe was the yeah. original intention of it. Exactly. It's become uh, uh, an economy of uh, stealing your attention and selling your altered behavior. Uh, yeah, Ve totally. Very but, succinct. And, and we still use it. We still use it and it's helpful and it's a way of communicating your images out there and it's a way of actually accessing people or meeting people. Uh, but I totally agree on the... I mean, it steals a lot of time from from other important things. Yeah. But it can be helpful. Hopefully, there are some platforms out there that it's not totally corrupted and still relevant. And uh, also, hopefully, there will be regulations in place that make things more sort of uh, healthy and um, uh, beneficial for the users than it is right now. One last question, big question that I have is actually, some of you work analog, some of you work digital. What what are your uh, sort of, I guess, feedbacks that you get about that? Because some collectors, some some even just sort of patrons that just sort of look at things have very different relationships with analog versus digital. And so like, do you find greater appreciations for one versus the other? Do you have a love for one versus the other? If so, it's sort of why or why not? I only work analog now after I mean I've, I did digital work for many years but my education was analog and I was actually going back to it was really really nice so and I do I feel there is a it's good to be able to say to a client it's an analog print it's something but it's but I do I mean I've seen a lot of great things doing done digitally so quality wise I don't know if it's a real difference um but um i i i like i like analog i'm a big fan of the term Preferably. i call it hand of the artist so that you can literally see like that hand production quality in a work versus a mass-produced thing that's my soapbox and i'm i'm sticking to it yeah i totally agree that the, the hand of the artist needs to have touched the work i feel i i do agree with arla saying that yeah both types of photography have qualities but my work needs to be analog and i feel it's important for many reasons in what the work means that it brings something else to the meaning of the work uh, but then it's also a really big hassle with how I saw uh, I wish I could just press the button of a printer and have more prints made because uh, it is this thing of it when you show it you need to ship it you can't just have it printed somewhere else by somebody yeah. else and uh, then the item itself is so um, fragile because you know you can't do this and that is a very big problem for me. Uh, sometimes it works to do it differently. I was showing at the Copenhagen Photo Festival outdoors, my big like analog original prints thing. But then I scanned everything and they printed out on boards and had them like on show as digital prints. And that worked fine. 
But that worked fine because it was a festival show outdoors and it obviously had to be like this. I actually did the same for Copenhagen. Yeah. I did printed it out there and then destroyed the prints afterwards. Exactly. Because basically it was it was it was a cheaper solution and also it's showing the work and um but I wouldn't I wouldn't have sold them actually. I'm a horrible snob about print quality. I will not let anybody else print my works unless I'm there. Yeah, because I work with a printer, but I'm always there. It's a close cooperation where, where of course, I need his expertise. I've done darkroom work before, but, you know, he's an expert. Wait a minute. Somebody <laughs> so, else does your darkroom work for you? Yeah. But with color prints, you need a big machine. I mean, you can't do the, the, the baths and everything. You need the big machine. It's, uh, it would be very expensive. Uh, and he's the same guy who printed my prints since I was 18. You know, it's a long relationship. And um, I'm always there when we're printing. I guess the question was how I feel about digital versus analog. And I'm the only one shooting digital, so I won't say anything. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, to me, it's uh, m much more um, convenient and uh, applicable uh, workflow and process, the way I shoot. Uh, but uh, I find that a large percentage of the images I really like in um, the area of photography are shot analog. So uh, I guess that has to do with the fact that it large format uh, analog photography that makes sense and have good quality it's a lot of work so uh, people won't do it unless they're serious uh, but uh, being trained in physics i think i can't really find any objective reasonable scientific explanation why analog is better I mean, technically, I mean, technically, when it comes to process, it's a different way of working. It's a way of, uh, of uh, stopping and uh, being forced to be more serious about the exposures and things like that. And there might be some kind of voodoo magic in the chemistry and the quantum uh, field, uh, uh, the quantum effects on the molecules and stuff like that. But uh, I so disagree because it's not in the in the chemistry that is this quantum thing it's in the computer because in the computer the image is not physical anymore and it's just being calculated in ways that are this ghost in the machine you can't see it you can't know exactly what it's doing and it can all, always be adjusted by whatever screen you have whatever printer you have there's nothing physical there to begin with there is something physical there to end with, and that that's what is important. What you end up with, and that, that uh, I, I said the process is different. I was talking about the end result and the the uh, gradients in lights, the resolution, the qual the color fields, all of that. Um, you you get something for free in analog. That's uh, the film has a certain. You get it for free. No, hear me out. <laughs> He, he, hear me out. The film has a certain well uh, called for uh, profile. That is, for your purposes, probably a good color profile and things like that. If you shoot in color or good way of treating the the um, gray tones, if you're shooting in in black and white, and that's given to you as a as a gift, or you've chosen that product because it's good. Uh, 
in digital it's much more sterile and neutral and you have to sort of work to uh, obtain what you want in that area i think for me i'm working with i do multiple exposures in the camera and how these pictures bl blend in the negative i could never do it digitally i mean i could of course you can blend pictures and you can do a lot of stuff in photoshop but you, you choose in a different way than the film chooses and I would end up perfecting it too much in a way. Mm. It would be a, it wouldn't have all the flaws that mm. you kind of, that happens when you mix things uh, in the emulsion. So I think my work couldn't have been digital. I mean, of course, I can scan the negatives and print afterwards like I did for the Copenhagen Film Festival. But when I have the negative there, I don't really see uh, the reason to print it digitally. Then it really is like doing the analog print which is uh, but it i totally agree on you know sending files and someone else can print it and so it hasn't it would be easier sometimes <laughs> i have to admit i actually miss seeing grain structure in a print like the actual grain like especially like 3200 ISO, 6400, these kinds of things, like the really beautiful grain structure that you can physically see in a print. I actually do personally kind of miss that, though I never shot with those things, and I, I would, I personally would never use it. I, I appreciate it when I see it in other people's works. Yeah, there's obviously lots of reasons to do different things for different purposes, but um, I, I, I was kind of making a joke with saying there's no reason to shoot analog. <laughs> But honestly, some of the reasoning that's being put out there, that's kind of like hard science arguments that the resolution is so much better and all that. If you shoot medium form or digital, it's not true. Agree. No. Yeah, but I mean, the, the reasons for using analog these days is for, for to me, so this is surely my opinion, is for things like Impossible Project or Holga or Plastic, Diana cameras, these kinds of things. Like if you're going to utilize these sort of, at this point, what are now referred to as like what historical processes, which makes me feel so old. But the these alter now alternative processes of of analog process, like I, if I'm going to go into analog, I'm going to do Impossible Project. I'm going to work with a Holga, or I guess Holga's not made anymore. Diane, well, Diane, I did I did a Holga project. Okay, is Holga still made? I don't think it's made. Yeah, yeah, you can buy them. Okay, great. They're like a hundred quid. What? <laughs> I remember when they were like less than twenty dollars. I had th I have I still have three Holgas, and each of them has a unique quality to them. So even though I hold them up and do the exact same thing with each of them, they all come out completely differently. And it, it's sort of that that spontaneous unknown of what's going to happen that I feel like analog offers that digital can't. Digital does an amazing job of what digital does, but analog offers a a sense of the unknown and a sense of the spontaneous that uh, that cannot be reproduced. I mean, I guess technically it can be reproduced, but it's the fun of the finding something that you could never have planned for, much like you're talking about early. I think I think that's why I'm into it as well. When that said, I have done uh, digital things uh, for for an exhibition before, and maybe I even will again. You know, <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not a religion to me, but it's definitely what I love to do. And I'm still curious at it, at it and I, I'll continue for a while. Um, 
But yeah, whatever happens. All right. I want to just wrap this up because I know some of you have some time, places to be. So the last thing I sort of ask is, is anybody have any advice? So from your experiences in the industry that we haven't touched on already, something specific, please try and stay away from like, you know, chase your dream or keep working, like something more specific that, <laughs> you know, because everybody agrees to those. I have one, uh, at least, at least in my experience, uh, workshops uh do them for a while uh but don't uh do it forever once you found your own voice maybe you shouldn't spend your money paying for workshops but rather explore your thing in all of the arenas and also portfolio reviews great thing to do to get feedback not such a great thing to do to get a gallery any other positions on portfolio reviews? <laughs> I've actually never done one. I, I kind of want to do it. I, I think I might do it in the future. Yeah. I highly recommend it as well. It's uh, very useful, but not for you to go and hope to be discovered and become rich and famous. Exactly. To, to learn something. I'm uh, going to the photo festival in Vienna in November to run a portfolio workshop. Uh, where I've made this setup and that I've done before in other festivals called Horizontal Portfolio Review, where it's not about meeting one expert, but about sharing your portfolio with others and discussing it and getting feedback both on your work and on how you present so that you think about how you think about your photography. And that would be my main advice that you need to think about how you think about what you do, not just learn how to shoot better but learn how to think better. Uh, and the way to do that for me has been to do collaborations. I think the, what Ale was saying about doing something with a musician sounds great, uh, or work with another photographer on something, because then you have to discuss what you're doing with somebody for real. To be working together, you need to understand each other and you need to understand yourself to work alone. So it helps. It, it's a really good tool. I, I've been working on a project with an American photographer, Megan Gold, for many years that I met up at the portfolio review. I went to PhotoFest in Houston. From University of New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I, I had Jim Stone from University of New Mexico on the podcast as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, and that was going to a place like this, you can meet somebody, and then you need to be open to just do more together than just meeting and hanging out and uh, that's uh, my advice be open to collaborate with others yes we're superstars by ourselves but you're <laughs> we're even better together well that's a misunderstanding that a lot of people have about portfolio reviews is they think that it's going to somehow create uh, some sort of business opportunity or whatever kind of thing and really they they really are about practice of like honing your craft of how to present your work how to present yourself and your also your ability to sort of just get to know people and and build the relationships that you all had brought up that are so important. Uh, and to add to that, I think art fairs is a great place to see pictures and meet people, but not not to sell yourself to the galleries that pay money to be there to sell their work. Seeing what's out there, mm. I think. Um, yeah. As I said before, patience has been one of my key words 
and a bit of stubbornness is also good. And uh, yeah, not letting other people decide where you're going, um, being on your own path. And then I see that, you know, compared to when I finished school, there's so many places to apply for. I mean, the photography contest and stuff like that is so much stuff going on and not everything is great, but mm. there's definitely some opportunities that wasn't there when I finished school and when I started out, but there's definitely so much stuff there that, yeah, it's not everything is good. <laughs> I think there's a glut of photographic competitions out there to the point that like they've dumbed down the sort of credibility of most of yeah. them because there are simply too many of them. Yeah, it's really exploded. And I think, I mean, because it costs money. So, I mean, someone decided or discovered that there was money to make up of it. And that's how it kind of just grew out of proportion. That's shocking. <laughs> Somebody wants to make money off of artists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. such a surprise but there's still a good a few good things out there and if you go into picter.com there is a good overview of things that you can apply to just festivals and competitions and things and you know then you have to sort of look closely but there's definitely some great things out there for the listener that's picter p-i-c-t-o-r i got that right yeah I think so. No? no. No. Shit. Not T O R, but T E R. T E R. I'm sorry. God. Okay. But I got the C T oh, part right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Picture. P I C. Shit. Okay. P I P I C T E R. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Good. Think so. Okay. Let's hope so. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you very much, all of you. Thank, thank you. you. That's it. Before you go, we would like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. We would also appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, families, co-workers, and studio mates, anyone with an interest in the arts and creative industries. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community both today and in the future is at the core of our mission for this podcast. You can listen, rate, and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website wisefoolpod.com. Mm-hmm.